Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If you have your Bibles, make your way to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, the first chapter. Be talking about the evangelism of discipleship. The evangelism of discipleship. In the last few weeks, we've been really building on the correlation between evangelism and discipleship. And we've looked at our need for evangelism, our method of evangelism, our passion for evangelism so far in our studies. And this week, we're really going to start to hammer home the idea that evangelism and discipleship are integrally, integrally related. Excuse me. Integrally, integrally. They're together. All right? They're together. We'll say it that way. Um, in fact, I would say the Bible doesn't suggest discipleship and evangelism to be exclusive ideas, but instead intrinsically related ideas. So at their very nature, at their very core, they are related. In other words, you can't have one without the other, right? You really can't have evangelism without discipleship, and you really can't have discipleship without evangelism. If you evangelize but you don't disciple, then you didn't truly share the gospel of Jesus. Because to share Jesus is, is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is to share Jesus. And to share Jesus is to make disciples of Jesus, right? You don't, you don't have one without the other. It's really not possible if you truly share the gospel of story. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the very first place in Scripture where we see a discipleship group called together. This is where Jesus is calling his first disciples together. He's calling the first small group. This is essentially the first Sunday school class, first life group, first small group, first whatever you want to call it today. It's our first gathering, which is a smaller gathering of the church as a whole. This is our first discipleship group that Jesus is calling together. Now keep in mind that these four that we look at this morning would be called together with just eight more and think about ultimately, even though one would fall away, what these disciples would do. Think about what they were going to do. Essentially, these four plus eight more are essentially going to evangelize an entire region for Jesus. Think about that. Think about what they're ultimately going to accomplish. They are ultimately going to plant the first church. They're going to add Paul to the mix later. But they're going to plant the first church, plant the first churches in most of the regions that John's going to send a letter to in the book of Revelation. He writes about Jesus sending these letters to the churches. They were planted by Paul. They were planted by Peter. They were planted by these very disciples. These very disciples are the ones that are going to evangelize an entire region. And it starts by Jesus calling this small group together. So I challenge you as you look at this text to remember... That, that we're going to be studying not just a Bible story, but a significant place, not just in the story of Jesus in the Bible, but in the story of Jesus in human history in the Bible. In other words, things the way things are done now started with Jesus calling these first disciples. And so I'd ask you now, if you're able, please stand in honor and reverence of the reading of the Holy Word of God from Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. 
And we had gone a little further from there. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Let's pray. Father God, Father, we thank you for what you've done already. And we praise you for what you're about to do, Father God. Father, we pray that as we read your word and teach your word together, Father, that everything said and done, Father, bring glory to your name. Father, if there be any devil, any demon, Father, if there is any thought or any spirit in the house this morning that is not held captive by your Holy Spirit, Father, would you remove it at this time that there may be no distractions in our worship and that we would give you the glory because of who you are because you alone are worthy of our attention and our, our worship and our praise, Father. And we thank you for what you do. And it's in your precious name that we pray, as all of God's children said. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, we're going to be looking at the call of Jesus to evangelism and for us to be disciples. And we often hear the term, the call, when Jesus is moving on us or moving us to do something. We call it a, a call to preach the word. When somebody is being looked at by a church, they say, we're going to watch this man preach in lieu of a call to be our preacher, right? And so we say that oftentimes. We say often that we're called to lead a Sunday school class. Brother Jason, I've been called to head up this ministry. I've been called to do this. And we're talking about when Jesus moves on us to do something, we, we use that term as a call in our lives. And one thing we can hopefully agree on after the last few weeks of studying together is that if you, have a, if you are a child of God, then you have a call on your life to fulfill the Great Commission. Like you don't have to wait on me to tell you as your pastor. You don't have to wait on your Sunday school teacher to tell you. you. You don't have to wait on God to send you a letter. He already did, and he told you that you had a call on your life to fulfill the Great Commission. If you know him, you've been called to fulfill that Great Commission. So if we have been called this morning, we're going to look at three aspects of that call on our lives. And the first is this, the call is from Christ alone. The call is from Christ alone. Notice something with me in verse 16. We see something here from Jesus that is similar to what we saw when we studied the woman at the well. It says, and as he walked by the Sea of Galilee. Let's just stop right there for a moment. Jesus was intentionally seeking these men on this day. He was intentionally going to this place to have this meeting with these men. If, we, if you study the Bible and if you look at it, you could go one of two ways when you see what Jesus does. You could go, well, uh, he was just going to head down to the water. Maybe he, he needed some fish and so he was going down there to the Sea of Galilee. Maybe Jesus just wanted the tranquility of the water. Maybe that is what had him down there. But the simple fact of the matter is, if you study the Word of God in its entirety, if you look at the other places in Scripture where we see Jesus, we see him say things like, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, right? He wasn't going down to get fish because he was hungry. He, he didn't need to go down to the sea at this point in time in this place just to get tranquility. No, we see that Jesus intentionally went everywhere that he went. It's the reason that he went to Samaria in the middle of the day when the woman would be at the well. Why? Because he had a meeting, a divine appointment with that particular woman. And so we see Jesus by the Sea of Galilee at this particular time for a particular reason. Why? Because Simon and Andrew were there. And that's who he was going to see. He had a call for Simon and Andrew that he was getting ready to go. And so we look 
for, for these things. And we can say, you know, either it's happenstance or we can recognize that Jesus is intentional. And I think if you look at the Bible as a whole, you find that Jesus was intentionally in this place seeking out these men. In fact, I think if you look at the tone and tenor of the Bible, you would see that Jesus was very intentional in everything he did. We already talked about the woman at the well. Think about with me when Jairus' daughter was dying and Jairus, the important man, was coming to see him. And the word of God says that Jesus tarried for a moment. Why? Because a woman who had a bleeding condition touched the hem of his garment. And he stopped and he healed that woman. And in the moments that he stopped to heal this woman, what happened to Jairus' daughter? She passed, right? She died. If he had just hurried along, he could have got there before he died. But Jesus intentionally stopped. Why? Because he had something more important to do when he got to Jairus' house. And he needed his daughter to be deceased first. Because he needed, when he got there, he needed everybody to know that it was an act of God alone to bring that little girl from the dead. We see this when, when Jesus is summoned to his friend Lazarus' house. The word of God doesn't say that straightway he ran to Lazarus. The word of God says he tarried for a few days. He allowed Lazarus to not just die but to be buried and laid in that tomb. Why? Because Jesus had a more important purpose in his timing. It's that he would be there in time to say Lazarus get up. Lazarus had to be down if he was going to get up. And the son of God knew what had to be done that men would see and believe in God. And so Jesus was very intentional in everything he done. So I happen to say when I read verse 16 and it said and as he walked by the sea of Galilee Jesus was there for a purpose. He had a call that he was getting ready to usher. So he's there for a purpose by the Sea of Galilee where the fishermen would be at this time. And then verse 16 and verse 19, I want you to circle that word, he saw, right there. Verse 16 and verse 19, it says he saw. I want you to circle that word saw for me. If you don't have a pencil, I want you to remember to circle it later. The reason I want you to do that is every time you read this passage, I want you to read that word a little different than we read it always when we just read through it. All right? One is when he sees Simon and Andrew. The next is where he sees James and John. I had you circle it. I want you to remember when you see it in your eyes. Because when we translate that word saw in English, when we say he saw something, it only means that, that what we perceive with our eyes, right? So I saw this suit in the closet this morning. I saw your car in the parking lot this morning. I saw my scriptures this morning, right? I saw these things. It's what I could see with my eyes and put together. But, but, but there are a couple of Greek words that are translated to the word saw in English. And, and one of them means to see the physical appearance. The other is the word that's used here. It's the word areo, and it means to perceive or see what something truly is. Let, let me say that again. The word of God there says, and as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he perceived who Simon and Andrew really were. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he perceived who James and John really were. That means that he saw to their core, he perceived who they were, he perceived what they were, and he decided that he had a reason to call them into something greater. He had something more important to do with them. In other words, he, he didn't just see them and recognize them from their physical appearance. He saw who they were on the inside. And he had something more in tune for them. Can I tell you something, my friends? If we're children of God, then that means that God saw you for who you were in your filthy, rotten self. And he loved you so much that he saved you. Can I say that again? If you're a child of God this morning, there was a time when God saw you exactly for what you were. And what you were was a filthy rag. 
God saw you as a hell-bound sinner. God saw you as undeserving. God saw you standing by the Sea of Galilee with absolutely nothing to offer him in and of yourself, and he saved you anyway. Can I tell you that again? He saved you anyway. Not because you were worth it. Not because of your intrinsic value. Not because you were so good. Not because the kingdom of God couldn't move on without you. My friends, that is the greatest deception of Satan that has ever been peddled in the church today. Is that anybody in the world is more important than the kingdom of God. Can I tell you something? If I fall away tonight, if I have a heart attack this afternoon, the work at Rocky Valley doesn't stop. Why? Because the kingdom of God is bigger than any preacher. And any preacher that tries to act like he's bigger than the kingdom of God ain't got no business in the pulpit. The kingdom of God is bigger than any Sunday school. Deacon, can I tell you something? If you quit deacon tomorrow, the kingdom of God will move on. Will we miss you? Absolutely. But will we move on? Absolutely. Why? Because the kingdom of God is more important than any one person. And can I tell you something? In spite of how bad you were, God called you. So my point is this. If we have been called to fulfill the Great Commission, it's in the power of Christ alone, right? It's only from Christ alone. That call isn't anything otherwise. He put a call on my life in spite of my failures. He put a call on your life in spite of your failures. It wasn't a mistake. It was a divine appointment. You've been saved, but not saved to silence. You've been saved, but not set apart to be quiet. You've been saved... You've been set apart, but not so that you could stay where you at. You've been saved to glorify the one that saved you. You've been saved to tell somebody about what's happened to you. Somebody set you free. The call is from Christ. These men were not going to get together and change the world of their own accord. Think about the nature of this group of disciples. Now, these four may have been buddies. They were all fishermen. But we're also going to have a tax collector. We're going to have a zealot. We're going to have all these men coming from all these different trades. And God is going to intrinsically weave this web together to make a ragtag group of evangelists. So the call has to be from Christ. But my friend, not only did Christ call them to it, but let's look at the fact that the call is through Christ alone. It's from Christ alone. But it's also through Christ alone. Verses 17 through 20. Look what Jesus is saying here. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Verse 20, and immediately he called them. Same call, right? He called them to follow him as well. He's calling them to come behind him. He's literally saying exactly what we take it to mean, right? If I say follow me to the classroom, what are you going to do? You're going to come behind me, right? And you're going to go with me to wherever we're going. If we get in the car and we're going to the restaurant and you've never been there, I might say, hey, follow me. And you're going to do what? You're going to get behind my car and you're going to follow me to the restaurant. We understand that term. That's exactly what Jesus is telling them. He is saying, I want you to come in behind me and I want you to follow me where I go. Now, that seems like a simple understanding, but that's a greater, that's a greater demand than you get at first, at first reading, right? If you just read that, you'd go, well, that's Jesus. Of course they're going to follow him, right? That's Jesus. Any of us, I mean, all of us would go, absolutely. If Jesus came to me at my workplace and said, I want you to follow me away from here, I'd be more than happy to follow you away from here, Jesus. But can I just remind you something? At this point in time, when Jesus is calling these fishermen out of the boat, do you realize he hasn't yet healed a leper? He hasn't yet called a dead man back to life? 
Jesus hasn't yet died on a cross. Jesus hasn't yet preached a message. Jesus hasn't yet called the lame to leap or the dumb to speak or, the, or, or, or any of these things that happen, right? Jesus hasn't done any of these things yet. He's merely been prophesied about. And so he calls them. They have to, one, recognize that it's Jesus calling them. That requires an ounce of faith, doesn't it? But can I remind you of something else? He's not just calling them to follow them. He says he's going to change them. He says, follow me, and I'll do what? I'll make you something. I'll make you a fisher of men. Now, when you get right down to it, that speaks a lot of volumes about the call from Jesus on your life. It's not just a call to come to a church service. It's not just a call to come and do something one time. Jesus didn't go to these disciples and say, hey, I want y'all to follow me up here to the meeting. I'm going to teach a class. He didn't say, hey, boys, I want y'all to get together and I want you to follow me to this class I'm teaching. I want you to follow me. Uh, I want you to follow me to Matthew, the tax collector's home. I'm going to be teaching a Bible study on Leviticus. No, no, no. Jesus said, I want you to follow me and I'm going to make you something different than you were before. I'm going to turn you from what you are into what I'm calling you to be. I'm going to call you out of the boat and I'm going to call you to go out and catch people. Now, I don't know about you guys. But that's, that's a real demand for surrender, isn't it? I'm going to surrender my life to this man who's calling me, who's telling me he's going to transform me into something different than I am before. And we need to remember when we share the gospel, it's not just inviting someone to a church service. It's, it, it's not just inviting someone to a church service. That's a great start. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that's not a great tool of evangelism just to invite them to a church service. We're not just inviting them to a lunch, right? I asked you to select one and pray for them and pray that God would give you opportunities to witness to them and God would give you time to pray for them and God would give you the, the desire to seek them and go after them because they're far from God. And, and I'm telling you, listen, is, is lunch a great tool for you to do that? Absolutely. But it's bigger than lunch. And it's bigger than a church service. And it's bigger than doing these things. Why? Because to evangelize is to actually invite someone to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms their lives. It's high time that we stop being ashamed of what the gospel does. Too many times we try to sneak it in there like a used car salesman, don't we? What's that used car salesman do? He says, listen, I got a 1994 Honda Accord, and, and, and man, it still runs, and it'll get you from A to B. And, and he tries not to tell you that the brake lines have been broken, and he tries not to tell you about the rust on the undercarriage, right? He's trying to sneak it in there on you. My friends, too many times we talk about the gospel of Jesus, and we try to do it like this. Hey, listen, you don't have to go to hell. You can be saved. That's great, but why don't we go and tell them the truth? Jesus can change you from what you are to what he called you to be. I don't know about you guys, that's exciting for me. That God can transform a life. Because I'm telling you, I know where my life was headed. I know what my life was. I know where I was bound for. And there was something greater than just realizing I could get some fire insurance that Jesus did for me. He transformed me from what I was. And he turned me in to what I am. And he's still changing me into what I'm going to be. Because I haven't arrived yet and you haven't either, beloved. And we have to realize that when we share the gospel. Yes, invite them to lunch. But when you get them there, invite them to see the God of the Bible and the Jesus that can save them and transform them. Now buy their chips and salsa, nothing wrong with that. But while you're there, share Jesus. Wouldn't that be far, trans far more transforming for someone 
than to just invite them there. But don't just notice the, the difficulty there. I want you to think about with me this call that he was calling to him. There was a difficulty to leave everything behind to become something new. Leave everything behind to become something new. I don't want to make my fishermen mad today. I don't want to make y'all mad, but I'm going to tell you something about the fishermen in this culture of the Bible. They weren't exactly the most skilled labor available. In fact, most of the time, if they weren't born into the industry, it was those hired servants who didn't really fit any other bill in society would become fishermen. Incidentally, you know what the other unskilled labor was in that culture? It was a shepherd. And what does God talk about most in the Bible? Fishermen and shepherds. Isn't that something? Like maybe he's trying to paint us a picture. Let's see if we can figure out what that is. So these that were mending nets were not considered the most important laborers in town. They were looked down upon, in fact, by the more wealthy and higher class occupations. There was nothing about them that screamed, hey, if you're going to change the world, this is your group. Nothing about them screamed, this is the most qualified group for you to go out and introduce the Messiah. They were more qualified to provide food for the qualified workers than they were to be the workers themselves. And you know the number one reason people give for not sharing Jesus with somebody when you get right down to it? I don't feel qualified. It's the number one reason I get from, from believers. If you get right down to it, right, there's fear of rejection and there's fear that I'm not good enough to share the gospel. That's the two things that stop us most often from sharing the gospel. Can I tell you something about Jesus that he shows us in his call on these men this morning? He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. Let me say that again. That, it's on my bookshelf in my office. Why? Because every morning I need to be reminded when I don't feel like I'm good enough that I'm not. And if I ever do feel like I'm good enough, I need to be reminded that I'm not. Because God didn't call me because I was qualified. and He didn't call you because you were qualified. He qualified you because he called you. That means when he saved you, he qualified you all at the same time to fulfill the Great Commission. It's why the battle plan in Jericho, I want you to think about that with me. Think about the Bible. The battle plan in Jericho. All right, boys, we got big walls. These walls are wide enough that there's people living between them. They're tall enough we can't scale them. They're wide enough we can't knock them down. They're strong enough we can't get through them, and there's an army in between them. And God said, Joshua, here's what I want you to tell the people. Tell them in order to destroy these walls, we're going to walk around them, and blow the horns at them. And after we've walked around them and blowed the horns at them, we're going to yell at them and they're going to fall. Can you imagine that business meeting? It's why when God called the army of Gideon to defeat the Midianites, he said, I think that's too many. Let's whittle it down. I think that's too many. Let's whittle it down. Ah, too many. Till there was only 300. And God said, I think that's about right. 
He said, hey, Gideon, now that you got your 300, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the cups and the trumpets and go fight this war. And I can't help but think that everybody said, what? The cups and the trumpets, you get them. I want you to get the pitchers and the trumpets. The 300, we're going to go overthrow this Midianite army. It's why God put a thorn in Paul's flesh. It's why God sent David to a sword fight with a sling. Why? It's why God uses sinners to proclaim his glory. Because when God calls you to do something, it usually doesn't make sense apart from God. But he's calling you to trust him and depend on his power to do it. Why? Because if you could do it without him, you would. And you would take all the credit for it. And so when God calls us to share his gospel, he's not calling us to do something we're capable of doing apart from him in the first place. So why are we afraid of failure? God's doing it, not you. And if God's doing it, you can't fail. He doesn't call you to give a great gospel presentation. I can promise you this, when we get to glory, nowhere in glory, nowhere in the Bible does the word of God say, and I'm going to take this one, and he's going to come up to you, and he's going to say, man, the way you spoke so eloquently saved my soul. God's not going to come up to you and say, man, you know, I meant for that one to come to heaven, but you didn't speak eloquently enough, and they didn't get saved. No, my copy of God's word says that there is but one name under heaven given among men by which we're saved, and that is the name of Jesus. So if all you can get out is Jesus died to save you, that was enough. And that is enough. Your job is to sow a seed. If it was your job to get the harvest, you would mess it up. I prove that every spring with my tomatoes. I can mess up a harvest like nobody's business. I'll plant 25 tomatoes and then drive up to the Amish and buy a box. <laughs> or wait on Charles's to come in. Praise God, he don't need me to get the harvest. He needs me to sow the seed. He just needs me to sow the seeds. Let's look not only at the call being from Christ, not only at the fact that the call is only possible through Christ, but finally, ultimately the call is to glorify Christ alone. It's for the glory of Christ alone. Verses 18 and 20 begin to tell us something spectacular. Look at verse 18. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Verse 20 and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Notice the word of God doesn't say that he put a call on their life and they needed to think about it for a little bit. God called James and John and because they'd been working in their father's business, they needed to have a conversation with Zebedee about how the resources were going to be split and allocated so that they didn't upset their father. No, the word of God says immediately. They responded to the call of God on their lives and they went to follow him. Can I tell you something? Once we follow Jesus, he calls us to repent and turn from what we are, were and by grace alone, my friend, we're not who we were and that transformation is immediate. Let me say that again. When God calls us out of our sin, that transformation doesn't happen over time. It's immediate. 
You're not who you were. You're who God has called you to be at that point. Now, sanctification is a process. Over the course of your lifetime, it won't be fulfilled until you're present with God. He'll continue to prune you and change you and do all of those things. But at the point in time when you're forgiven, you're no longer responsible for your debt of sin anymore because Jesus has paid it all. Nothing is the same after Jesus as it was before Jesus. If it is, then you never trusted Jesus. How do I know I'm saved? Because I'm different. How do I know that I'm saved? Because I'm different than I was before. Because if you're still the same, listen, Jesus is not a same type of Jesus. Jesus is a transforming Jesus. I want to point out something to you about this passage, and then we're going to close. Remember when we started, I said this was the formation of the first discipleship group. This is the first Sunday school class, first small group, first life group, whatever you want to call it. This is the first small group of the church that's being called together right here. And I want you to look at what their purpose was. Notice that Jesus didn't say to them, follow me and we're going to break bread together in fellowship. Though I'm sure there was plenty of breaking of bread and plenty of fellowship that they had together. There's nothing wrong with fellowship and breaking bread together in our small group. I'm sure that they broke bread with Jesus. I'm sure that they fellowshiped with Jesus. I'm sure they shared their burdens with Jesus. I'm sure they began to share their burdens with one another. They did all of that, but that's not what Jesus called them for. Notice with me also, Jesus didn't say, follow me, I'm going to teach you all of the intricacies of Scripture. He didn't even say, listen, I'm going to call you out of this for the purpose of teaching you the depths of Scripture. Though I'm sure... That as they fellowshiped and broke bread together, Jesus taught them the Bible and he caught them every part of the word of God and he talked to them about the prophecies of old. Jesus did all these things, but that wasn't the sole purpose of him calling together this group. No, my friends, when he called them, he said, the purpose of me pulling you together and fellowshipping with you and teaching the word to you is that you would be a group of evangelists to go out and make disciples. It's high time that we recognize that our purpose of being called together is not just to edify one another, but to take what we learn together and take it to a lost and dying world. Take it to our workplace. Take it to our family. Take it to that one that's on your heart. Take it to that next person you run into. Why? Because if we're only gathering together to edify one another, we're missing out on the purpose of what God called us to. Do we edify one another? Absolutely. But is that our purpose? Absolutely not. God called them together. Jesus called them to make them fishers of men. And let me leave you with this this morning, and then we'll be done. In order to be a disciple of Christ means you follow him. In order to follow him means that you're obedient to him. In order to be obedient to him means you must share his gospel story. And one of my most favorite sayings that I've ever heard in my life is this one. If you ain't fishing, you ain't following. Think about that with me. If you ain't fishing, you ain't following. Because he said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. So I want to challenge you this morning, church. I want to challenge you this morning. Are you fishing? Simple question. Now, for some of you that like to fish largemouth bass and things of that sort, that's not what I'm talking about. 
I know two of you that are going to go home and tell your wife, I got to go. Preacher said I need to be fishing. <laughs> and that's fine, but don't take your boat because I said you're supposed to fish after men and they don't swim very well. But ask yourself, am I fishing? Because when it gets right down to it, my friends, if you ain't fishing, you ain't following. And the Word of God says, if you know Him, you love Him. If you love Him, you'll obey Him. If you obey Him, you'll be following Him. See where I'm going with that? If you love Him, you'll be fishing. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning thankful for your Word. But God, we should be humbled by your word because the simple fact of the matter is most of us haven't been fishing in quite some time most of us haven't shared your gospel story with someone in quite some time Father maybe we've gotten complacent Father maybe we've allowed fear of rejection to stop us. Maybe we have allowed a fear of inadequacy to stop us. Maybe we've allowed Father, maybe it's just apathy, Father, where we just we don't care enough. But Father, your word eliminates all of our excuses. You didn't call those who knew how to say it in the right language with the right way, Father. You called those who just knew how to mend nets and you used them to change a region. Father, would you use us by putting a burning desire inside of our, inside of our hearts that we wouldn't rest until we had shared your gospel. Give us the confidence to know that our job is to sow the seeds and Father, let you get the harvest. Give us the confidence to merely sow those seeds. Father, give us the conviction that we couldn't rest until we told somebody about Jesus. And Father, I just, I believe there's somebody here today. Father, there's somebody that came in here and the whole time we've been talking about sharing your story, they've recognized that they need your story, Father. Father, they were born wonderfully. They were born perfectly, but sin has messed everything up and they're separated from you, God. Father, we know that this same Jesus who calls us to tell his story, his story includes a death on a cross. Where your word says he died because he loved us while we were yet still sinners. And that he gave his life that we wouldn't have to give our own that we would be forgiven of our sins that we could be with you Father Father would you call us to repentance this morning and we'll give you the glory for who you are and what you do Jesus it's in your precious name that we pray Amen please stand Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.